insights and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world. Welcome to the Jewish Patriot Show. Talk Radio's premier U.S. activist, Cindy Gross, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. You don't have to be Jewish to be part of our show. And now, your Jewess patriot, Cindy Gross. Hello and welcome to the Jewess patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross, today's premier Jewish woman activist. So excited about our uh, expansion through the tri-state area. I'm getting lots of great response in addition to our current stations, you can listen to us on 95.9 FM and 102.4 AM every Sunday morning from the studios on Long Island, heard throughout the tri-state area, and as always, streamlined and downloaded anytime, anywhere out of Israel through Jew- uh, Jewish podcast and uh, on every single major outlet. We're now on... um News tunes and, uh, additionally, we're still on Spotify and iHeart and all the Apple podcast outlets and Podbean. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as you all know, I open each and every show with my pearls of wisdom because I am Zisla Peril, which means sweet pearls in Yiddish. I want to talk to you today about from Israel with love. It's a perfect time to talk about it as many are anxiously anticipating wonderful celebrations on the 75th anniversary of Israel this spring. And we are all in preparation for our holidays, whether it's Passover for Jews like myself or Easter for our non-Jewish friends who um, understand the importance of a strong Israeli country and a strong Israeli-American uh, relationship. So before we talk about the various products and leaders and personalities of from Israel with love, I want to talk to you about what isn't so much filled with love and admiration? Two things. First of all, upcoming in New York, we have in New York State Supreme Court a hearing for four attackers in an anti-Semitic attack that was multiple attacks on multiple boys. We must try and stop these courtrooms these very progressive district attorneys from either having no or little bail or absolutely no sentence that allows any kind of consequence that scares somebody to attack Jews again. Let's face it. What's going on around the country has an impact not just on Jews, even though these anti-Semitic attacks are mostly on Jews, but it's on the everyday living conditions for all of us. People don't want to walk the streets. They don't want to go into small stores so businesses are affected. They don't want to go out late at night so they won't have eat out dinner in restaurants. And the start, as I said before, 
of strong anti-Semitism here now is not that different from pre-Holocaust, with opinion versus fact being shared through our cultural, our educational, and our media systems. So if you want to have for Israel with love, we've got to stop the hate. And we need everyone involved, whether or not you're young or old or you live in New York or you don't because these attacks are happening all over the place. You see school shootings all over the place. And the same thing is happening to the people that are victims there. Their their voices are not being heard loud enough that people are continuing to think that they can do it and get away with it. And that's the secret. We've got to rebrand the packaging for an atten- potential attacker that if you do something, there are consequences to pay. And we don't mean giving out cookies in Jerusalem. There should be serious consequences, not only to the attacker, but to those in his family and friends that are totally aware of the hate and violence in a person. Now that I gave you my pearls of wisdom on the serious part, I want to give you my pearls of wisdom on the lighter part. And that is all the great things we are going to be sharing, whether it's food or travel like we've done or some products or meeting people that have an impact to make your lives happier and easier. That is the goal here to bring you the latest headlines and trends. I am your host, Cindy Gross, and we have a very special guest from the land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael. Everybody is talking about a brand new book, and it's not even in bookstores yet, but it's selling out quickly on Amazon if you want to get it, because it really is a fun, easy read written by our next guest, Joel Chasnoff, and his partner, Benji Lovett. And they both were born in America and what we call made Aliyah, live in Israel for the past 25 years. They have been successful, I guess, entertainers, comedians, and not only that, interviewers of celebrities. Uh, some of the celebrities we'll talk about. I know uh, Americans here love Fada. I know you interviewed uh, some of the stars there. This book, Israel 201, is the next level guide to magic, mystery, and chaos of the Holy Land. And when you say chaos, you mean it in a positive way because headlines, unfortunately, every day are not showing chaos in a good way in Israel. Although most people would agree it's probably safer to walk the streets in Jerusalem more than in Chicago, New York, L.A., and other places in the in the United States. So, Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for having me. And I just want to springboard off of what you just said. Uh, Israel is chaotic, but we also forget that it's a young country. And we sometimes judge Israel as if it were as old as the U.S. or some other countries in the world. But it's relatively young and it's figuring out who it is right now. And uh, this chaos, I think, like you just said, ultimately, it is actually, I think, safer to walk around the streets of Tel Aviv or Jerusalem than uh, many other places in the world. Uh, But it's part of the growing pains that the country is going through right now. Well, if you want to talk about growing pains, let's talk about the real estate market of Tel Aviv. 
Every country, <laughs> every city should have that growing pain where I believe now, uh, especially some of the outskirts of Tel Aviv, it is the most expensive real estate around the world because of the advances of technology and medicine uh, that everybody, including Israel's not so friendly friend neighbors, uh, enjoy the benefits of. So Absolutely. we should all have the the uh, chaos of Tel Aviv real estate in our back Well, unless pocket. you're trying to buy an apartment in Tel Aviv. And, <laughs> uh, you know, one thing, one chapter in our book that uh, Benji and I wrote about, and Benji is my creative partner, not my life partner. I have a wife and kids and he's about to. So uh, just want to make clear what kind of partner we are. But we're creative partners. And one thing we wanted to do was to focus on all the aspects of Israeli life that really don't get in the headlines all that much. So you hear a lot about occupation, war, conflict, or maybe startup nation and technology, but real estate, there's not a lot that's known about that outside of Israel, but Israelis feel this every day. And to explain what's happening, uh, what we did in our chapter interviewing uh, Professor, yeah, Professor Danny <laughs> Ben-Shahar, uh, who is the pretty much the country's expert on real estate, he explained that the supply and demand rules that operate in most countries really don't operate in Israel because government controls the land, government releases the land, decides when to build. Uh, there's there's a lot less space. Israel's a tiny country and the population is growing. And so uh, all of that combined with the fact of one thing you didn't mention, that Tel Aviv is just a really cool, fun I was getting to that. I want to talk city. a little bit about the book, and we're going to talk yeah. about Israel with the book because it is. But that's next- why, but that's why it's so expensive in Tel Aviv right now. Well, you know, everybody wants to talk about advances of culture and uh, right. uh, rights for everybody, and advances in education. Everybody from around the world, including their not so friendly neighbors, come to Tel Aviv because. It is the center where people can have a uh, fight for their gender beliefs and, uh, and religious practices and women can drive and, and be educated. So it is by far one of the most desirable places around the world to live in and where people from around the world go for business and to cultivate business places. You know, I know, Countries in Africa are daily sending people, and that's not something you think about all the time when you think about Israel. But No, it's often forgotten, but you're exactly right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you. You, you live in Israel. You're a mm-hmm. very successful comedian. Uh, you actually have a very successful tour continually going on in the United States, in Canada. You tour Europe. Tell us, and you've had some very famous interviews Tell us what your career was like before you wrote the book. Well, the career is now into its 20th year. I began performing uh, stand-up comedy about 21, 22 years ago. And beginning like most stand-up comics begin, open mic comedy nights, bringer shows where you literally have to pay for your audience members to come. Uh, And then I sort of graduated up to colleges, clubs, began performing at Jewish events. And I found that at the Jewish events, my humor came out. Uh, the best. It was really my most genuine story, the one that I would tell to Jewish audiences about growing up in Jewish day school, summer camp, serving in the Israeli army, which I did at the age of 24 after college. And now my career as a comedian is almost exclusively in the Jewish world, performing you know, federations, JCCs, uh, any Jewish organization. 
for social events and fundraisers. But I also do a lot of public speaking about Israel, uh, even before this book came out. I have another book called uh, The 188th Crybaby Brigade about my service in the Israeli army. And I speak to Jewish groups, but also Christian groups who want to get a little more insight into what it's really like to live in Israel day to day. What are Israelis actually like? What are they thinking? What are we not going to see in the headlines? But that actually captures what Israel is like. And that's what we try to do in this book as well. So the book, in a way, is it's not so much a new project. Uh, instead, I would say it's a natural culmination of all the Israel work I've been working on until now. So a name familiar to many in this audience, actress Mayan Bialik gave you a oh, raving yes. review. Yeah. Fantastic. Israel 201 is precisely the kind of Israel education we all need. And my tagline is you don't have to be Jewish with Cindy. And I love that thought because so many Christians and moderate Arabs, I mean, people see the terrorist attacks, so they don't realize how many Arabs benefit from living in Israel, working with Israelis, and want a strong Israel as the only democracy in the Middle East. I think during the recent corona pandemic, we saw a lot of examples in Israel of uh, Arab populations and Jewish populations really working together to administer vaccines, keep people healthy. But again, sadly, that is not the kind of thing that will often make it in the in the headlines. Conflict is usually what is sells and what uh, you know attracts coverage. And so, some of these more positive aspects, which you noted just now correctly, are are not known about. So another person who gave you a rave review was the former prime minister of Israel, Ehud Barak. That's he right. said, Sabra, immigrant and tourist alike will learn something from this wonderful book. And I can tell you more and more people are talking about Israel as a place to visit and even as a place to live, given what is going on in the United States for the first time. And it's hard to believe that there were Holocaust survivors alive that we are actually even saying this. But people fear the future of Jews in the United States, and they are looking to make Aliyah like you did. Well, let's let's not forget. I mean, the point of Israel at the end of the day is to be a homeland for Jewish people where Jews would not have to feel uh, in danger, where they could feel safe, where they could have an airline of their own, and firemen of their own, and uh, a country that operates first and foremost uh, around the ideal of uh, Jews living how, however those Jews choose to live. And I think you're, you're exactly right. We, given everything going on in the world right now, we're seeing some instability where some people are doing some soul searching and wondering if maybe Israel is the place for them. We certainly see the number of immigrants coming into Israel growing and from countries you might not have expected. It's, uh, we're seeing a lot from France, South Africa, uh, the U.S. Uh, so you're exactly on point there, Cindy. So while you were uh, writing this book, what was the one thing that surprised you? Because obviously there was so much of you in the book. Right. Yeah. So in a way, it's very autobiographical because I think my love for Israel shines through. But at the same time, Benji and I did not want this just to be our opinion of Israel. We wanted to interview experts. And so every chapter has at least one expert. And I think one of the big surprises that was a sweet surprise was just how willing these notable Israelis were to talk to us. Uh, you mentioned Avi Issacharov, he co-wrote Fauda, co-created that show, and he didn't have to speak to us, but he spoke to us about show business in Israel and just how different it is from the Hollywood showbiz scene. 
For sports, we talked to Yael Arad. She's the country's first Olympic medal winner and currently the president of the Israel Olympic Committee. And again, she willingly, you know, when I told her about the project, she scheduled a time to meet and was happy to talk to us. And over and over, we saw these uh, experts who are really at the top of the field in Israel, uh, giving us their time and encouraging us and believing in our project, because I think at the heart of what they do is a love for the country as well and a desire to see the best best face of the country put forward. So, it, it you know, it's very well known that if you look at the history of humor, Jews were always at the forefront of it, whether or not it was Jack Benny or George Burns. We are funny. Uh, we had, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, Jason Alexander, a- any generation. I mean, Paul Rudd. And now you have the next generations coming in. And there are a young group of Jews. A lot of people who are Israeli Jews, like Modi Rosenfeld and uh, like yourself, uh, someone who started in America, lives in Israel now. What right. do you tell people about Jews and humor? Why are we such a, a, a humorist, for lack of a better word? Why are we so involved in the business of comedy? Well, I think there's actually three reasons. One is, you know, suffering, uh, laughter through tears. Whenever you're in an adverse situation, one of the ways of coping and dealing is with humor. So that's number one. But a lot of people have suffered and not all have gone on to become comics. So I think there's a couple other factors involved. One of them is storytelling. You know, in addition to the written Torah, we have the Mishnah, the oral Torah. We've we've always been a storytelling people, a people that loves to uh, train to uh, to transform and to transmute our messages through stories. And that's a natural uh, component of stand-up comedy. It's just the use of story to convey our jokes and our humor. And the third is that uh, humor comes from asking questions. The comedian is the person standing off to the side, observing, asking questions. What isn't right about this picture? What could be different? And Jews have always been doing that. We're questioning people the Talmud is full of questions which are answered with another question. So I think our love for pursuing knowledge and asking questions has naturally led to stand-up comedy, this profession which is founded on telling stories, asking questions, and using your suffering as as a, as the basis for what your jokes are going to be. Then uh, I have two quick personal questions that probably are short answers, but it's Ooh, a little personal. bit about, well, it's about your humor. Uh, Who inspired you to become a comedian? Well, the first comedian I really loved was Steve Martin, who is not Jewish, but we can love him anyway. I just loved his style. I I absolutely love him. He's so clever. He was the first. He was the first one I really loved. And that's that's funny that of all the people you mentioned, it's Steve Martin. When you have so many Jews out there. Well, I'm a child of the 70s, and so it has. It also has to do with when you're born and where you're going to see the media that will expose you. So that's who it was. I love him also. There's, I mean, murders and the villain thing is great. And uh, what is a topic that you feel is not in the realm of good humor? Hmm. Well, different comedians would say different things. I personally have a few boundaries. Uh, I'm clean on the stage because I just think it's, first of all, funnier if you can go an entire hour without being dirty. I think that actually ups the challenge and makes it a more enjoyable show. But I also, for me, I never pick on the audience. I know some comedians have actually built careers by picking on audience members and making fun of them. And it can be funny. I've seen it. It, it uh, It's something we laugh at. But I personally 
that's a line I don't want to cross. I feel if people come to a show, they're there to have a good time, not to be demeaned. And so that's just a personal boundary. Uh, but every comedian has to draw his or her own uh, boundaries in terms of what they will or won't talk about. And what's next for you, Joel? Well, this big book tour, we have a big tour called Israel 75 Live, which begins this week. Uh, we're going to 40 cities across North America. The idea is to bring not only the book to people interested in Israel, but also programming and activities. So that's stand-up comedy, but also cooking workshops, tech studies on Tohar Neshek, which is the ethics in the Israeli army, that uh, body of ethics. We study that. Uh, courses on Hebrew. And the idea is to bring a bit of Israel to communities and reach people where they're at. And that begins this week, and it's going to be a four-month tour. And the book is Israel 201. It's by Geffen Pub- Publishing. It is at on Amazon now. You can buy it. And, Joel, the next time, while you're on tour, the next time we speak, you're going to come in studio. I'd love to. we would love to have a little bit of comedy from you. Close us out with a, with what do you think would be appropriate for our audience on a Sunday morning or a Monday night. Are you talking about a joke? A joke on air? Hmm, that's always the Well, What's, I'll tell you. Tell us something ahead. about a joke. And exp- I'll tell you this. I think the best Jewish jokes reveal who we are as a people. They're not about stereotypes, but they give you a message about how Jews think. And I'll share one of my favorite jokes. This one is from a dear friend of mine. His name is Moshe Waldox. Some of you might have heard of him. He's the co-author of the big book of Jewish humor, and it's one of his favorite jokes. He's a rabbi as well. And this joke that Moshe told me is about a minister, a priest, and a rabbi, and they're sitting around talking about what they want people to say at their funerals. And the priest says, at my funeral, I want people to say that I was a kind and generous human being. And the minister says, at my funeral, I want people to say that I was always there to listen. And the rabbi says, at my funeral, I want people to say, look, he's moving. And the idea (laughs) there is that Jews never give up hope. We always believe that there's more to the story and that life is worth living. And I want to thank Moshe for that joke and hope that can send your audience onto a nice day with that. Where can our audience find you? Well, easiest way right now is on the website of the book, Israel201.com. We have our tour schedule up there. So if someone wants to come to one of our up, uh, upcoming shows, they can see it on the schedule page. Uh, and uh, also there are links to buy the book there at Israel201.com. Joel Chasnoff, thank you so much for joining oh, the Jewess Patriot. Thank you. I hope to see you again. Bye, Cindy. Bye-bye. Lehitra Oat. Lehitra Oat. I always tell you, you don't have to be Jewish with Cindy, but I am super proud that this next guest brings out the best of Israel, technology, uh, Jewish values of he who saves one saves the world. And it's so important because every headline every day is talking about railroad safety. It's international. We saw what happened in Ohio. We saw what happened in Greece. And people are afraid, asking questions, and they're not getting answers. Well, our next guest, Shaha Hania from Israel, is here to tell us about his incredible business, Rail Vision. And it is one of the leading providers of obstacle detection and detecting issues on tracks with objects and anything that seems different and questionable. 
in all weather and in all uh, seasons, wherever you are. Shahar, thank you so much for joining the Jewess Patriot. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here. And uh, uh, yes, it is. Uh, Red Vision is a startup uh, uh, which is seven years old, something like that. Technology uh, involved in is artificial intelligence and uh, electro-optics. Uh, and yes, we are considered to be market leaders. As far as we know, nobody all over the world managed to exhibit these kind of performances. Uh, so we are very proud of it. And I'm very proud to have you on the show with it. Well, with today's issues with railroads, how do you explain to somebody what you do, what you can do to save the railroads and make sure at least make people feel safer than they do today? Well, I think it is more than give them the confidence that the train is safe. That the idea here is to make the train safe, period. So, uh, we just, uh, our system can uh, look up to two kilometers, which is more than a mile, and classify objects on the tracks. Uh, and then if there's something that poses a threat to the train, it provides an alert to the driver, or, uh, operator, whatever you call him. And then he can just stop the train, sound horn, uh, uh, decrease velocity, whatever can be done in order to decrease the the threat or the avoid the terrible collision that might take place. So even though um, uh, even though it is you know very hard to do that, but without technology using a remote sensing, a cutting edge technology on that. We manage to prove that we are the only one all over the world that managed to uh, uh, to classify up to two kilometers. Tell us a little bit about interest in from the governments in your work, because I'm sure right now with a lot of pressure from their constituents, governments are looking for you and your company to for advice and for uh, support. Yeah, you know, we just lately announced that we signed a contract, uh, the first one in the world, all over the world, uh, with our system, delivering 10 system, first 10 system to Israeli Railways. Israeli Railways uh, is our partner since the beginning, and they tested us for about uh, more than a year. And in parallel, they tested additional uh, technologies, and uh, by signing with us a contract, you can understand that we are the only one that managed to show that uh, we are able to to do what we are saying. So this is a state-held company. So the same would, ha- would happen also in the U.S. And we feel that with the RFIs, with the calls that we are getting uh, in the U.S., it happens almost a few times a day. So uh, we, understand, we understand it and, and we feel the pressure and the interest. Tell us a little bit about your background. Because to be the only person to do this, you must be a very unique person. No, you know, just uh, an Israeli uh, uh, standard guy. I studied in the Jerusalem College of Technology before the military, uh, what is called academic reserve. I was serving as an electro, electro-optics expert in the military, military systems and so on. And then after finishing uh, my six-year service, uh, I went uh, uh, another startup using laser fi- fiber lasers for communication, and then 
I got back to the military industry. Uh, some classified uh, projects, uh, some of them uh, are not. Uh, missile warning system, jamming missiles. Uh, I got to another company where, where I, was, I was responsible for uh, jamming missile uh, 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 concept system. Uh, and then we established Trail Vision to use the same uh, technology, or let's say equivalent technology, and, and taking the decision to deploy also artificial intelligence, which, is, which was quite new at those days. I'm talking about taking the decision six and a half years ago, uh, which is, of course, something that uh, nobody really knew what it is. Uh, but we took a decision because I knew that there is no way to do it without artificial intelligence. So we took the decision, and we are. I, I'm very proud to, proud to say that this decision uh, uh, was quite good. And obviously quite timely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it couldn't, you know, it couldn't be any more time. And even the idea of artificial intelligence, because that's in the news also a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, this is a great technology that can do so many things and help humanity in so many places. Uh, also here, uh, all the classical uh, methods will not hold here. Only artificial intelligence, where I think Rail Vision is uh, quite unique on that, uh, artificial intelligence, safety-related, real-time uh, technology is quite unique for us. So in the United States, before all these uh, accidents were happening and uh, questions about rail safety, there were questions in regard to rail safety and infrastructures that they were outdated. And uh, so I think this also is something that's going to be a huge discussion with the work you do with all the people, regardless of a party or what what country you're in, because so many countries are not advanced and they're looking to upgrade their systems. So this is a fantastic time to combine the updating of infrastructure and the safety. So uh, I'm sure you've been asked about that because you're shaking your head. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, we see all the time that uh, budgets that are uh, related to infrastructure and uh, transportation are just increasing all the time. Everybody understands that infrastructure in the U.S. in, in many places uh, is it, are too old and it is uh, high time to uh, replace it. Uh, and of course, when you are thinking, considering renewing things, you're not getting the same technologies that was available uh, 100 years ago. You have to think for the next 100 years. So this is exactly where we fit in so much uh, uh, good in a way that uh, uh, our technology can spare quite a lot of money. Uh, for example, there are 130,000 grade levels in the U.S. that are without any protection, no barriers, no signaling, nothing. So in order to, uh, to uh, upgrade them uh, with the uh, barriers and so on, it will cost more than half a million dollars. And just understand the amount of, of investment that you have to do. But instead of that, you just can get our system put on the locomotive and then you are going through all of the infrastructure, including great levels, uh, and it is all monitored in one system. Uh, so this is much more efficient way uh, to solve so many problems uh, with the current technology. Well, 
I am so proud to be a Zionist and to be speaking to somebody who is changing the world. Let me, I'm going to go off track a little bit because I love my audience to learn about our guest in a different way. Uh, before we started taping, you were telling me about one of your unique hobbies, which is a fan favorite from all the stations I'm on. So t- share with us a little bit what you do to relax. <laughs> I didn't know we we're going to disclose it uh, online, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want, you don't have. But I just I'm thought cool. that was so cool unique. Yeah, first of all, uh, my best uh, time is with the family. Of course, uh, I'm married with nine children, and uh, and uh, uh, I have a vineyard uh, for hobby with uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, I'm growing the grapes, and uh, uh, I'm doing great wine out of it. Uh, and I'm quite enjoying that. And I think that uh, fulfilling the prophet uh, words, uh, you should plant, you will plant vineyards in the Mount of Samaria and make it come true. I think it is a great thing. It truly is. And you're doing so much more than planting grapes. You're planting the future of safety for transportation around the world for Jews, for, for Christians, for Muslims, for our best friends, and for our worst enemies, because everybody is going to benefit from the work of Rail Vision and Shaha Khanina. I'm sorry, Ham Khanina. I'm sorry, Khania. Khanina is my father's, and we were talking about that too, but Khania. So where can our audience reach out to you? Uh, We are available through our website, uh, railvision.io, in one world, in one word. Uh, or just Google it. You'll find it in Israel uh, quite easy. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the work because you are helping every one of us. We are all so concerned what's going on. I mean, people are telling me, don't take the trains or be careful or, you know, whatever's going on. And I'm telling them, trust Israel. We gave you the uh, so many other tech- technological and medical advances and uh, Rail Vision is bringing the future of train safety. Thank you so much for joining the Jewess Patriot. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome back to the Jewess Patriot. I am Cindy Gross, today's premier Jewish woman activist. And joining us now is our Kosher Wine Authority. Gabe Geller, he is going to be with us all through the month discussing everything about kosher wines for Passover, for your spring parties. You don't have to be Jewish with Cindy. And as you know, from all the awards kosher wines win, you don't have to be uh, Jewish to enjoy the best of kosher wines. And since this episode is featuring the best from Israel or from Israel with love, What better way to celebrate our love than with the best of brand new Israeli wines that are kosher distributed through Royal Wine? Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us, Gabe. Well, it's great to be here, Cindy. How are you? As always, so excited to have you here because at the experience that we celebrated in New York, there were a record number of brand new Israeli wines from all over Israel. Every region has new uh, wine uh, vineyards and they have new wines coming out as well as 
new wines on the award-winning uh, vineyard. So tell us a little bit, first of all, about what you think is going to be the biggest trend out of Israel for wines for this spring-summer season. Okay. So, you know, Israel is not uh, what you could call a cold climate country, right? Uh, but it's interesting that, uh, up until now, actually, but uh, recently there has been a change. Israelis have been drinking mostly red wine. Uh, even though it's so hot there, you know, most of the time, uh, you would think that they would prefer to drink you know, the white wine, something refreshing. Uh, up until recently, uh, they're really focusing mo- uh, mostly on the reds. So the reds, I think, are still are the, the majority, but it has changed a lot. Uh, for the whites, there's a lot more whites uh, being produced in Israel, being consumed in Israel, and being consumed out of Israel. Not enough, still. Uh, I think that there should be a lot more than that. Uh, but uh, it's great that we see uh, uh, such popularity for Israeli rosé wines, uh, white wines. Uh, so I have here, for instance, uh, the Gewurztraminer from Gush Etzion Winery. Gush Etzion Winery is located, well, in Gush Etzion. Uh, it's, uh, it's a region uh, that is uh, south of Jerusalem. And uh, it has a microclimate. It's much more cool uh, than most other areas in the, in the country with very cool, cold nights even, even during the summer. Uh, so you have that uh, difference in temperature between the day and night, which is very important, crucial uh, to grow uh, grape vines and make uh, quality wine. And uh, this Gewurztraminer, which is you know, one of many white wines produced by Gushetzion Winery, uh, is a fantastic wine. Uh, they're really uh, great at uh, making uh, white wine. They have some delicious uh, Viognier, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay uh, blends. Uh, and this Giver Seminar is really delicious. It's slightly off dry, so there's a touch of sweetness, uh, which is uh, good for both the people who like, you know, their wines in the sweeter and people who like their wines, you know, generally dry, uh, because it's only a little sweet, enough to please, you know, the, the, the sweet tooth people and not too much uh, to, you know, uh, scare away uh, the dry uh, wine lovers. So that's really a wine that I highly recommend. Uh, for our listeners uh, and our viewers uh, to, uh, to, to, to try out. And there are many other Gewurztraminer wines uh, out of Israel. Uh, most of them are quite good, so really check them out. So when and you talk about... Have... Oh, go yeah, ahead. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to say for our audience who's not aware of Gush Etzion, it's an area where many Americans make Aliyah and they live. So it's an area, should anybody in our audience want to visit Israel and of course visit the wineries uh it's an area they would feel comfortable in because so many Americans are there that speak English so it's a very welcoming place for American tourists that's all I wanted to add in with it so that's one of the reasons also it has such a great variety because there are so many Americans who appreciate all the varieties of wines thanks to people like you and Royal (laughs) very much so yes so Gushetzion is where Efrat is Neve Daniel, Alon Schwut, uh, which are places where a lot of uh, Americans and English-speaking uh, people uh, have taken residence. And uh, actually, the Gush Etzion Winery is about five minutes, not even two minutes drive from Efrat. So if you're going to visit there, or if you are actually there now, uh, but if you're going to visit the area uh, for, uh, for Pesach, 
really, uh, really uh, check, check out the winery. It's beautiful. It's got a dairy restaurant on premises. Uh, it's really a great place. So you were back before I cut you off. You were about to introduce another brand new Israeli wine that's going to be a huge bestseller and uh, a trend for the spring summer. Tell us oh, what yeah. it is. The spring summer and all year round. So we have two wines here actually, and they have several things in common. First of all, they are both Israeli wines, uh, and the, the varieties they're made from. Uh, make them very unique. So, for instance, you have here, this is brand, brand new. This just came in, like, last week. Uh, this is called Zion Capital Lionsgate. Uh, I have to say that the name Lionsgate for this wine was my suggestion. <laughs> it's something that we discussed last year with the winery, and I was like, why not Lionsgate? I think that would, you know, be great on a bottle of wine. And uh, so they went with my suggestion. Uh, it's a blend of Petit Syrah, Barbera and Merlot. Very unique, very unusual. I don't know if there's any other winery in Israel or anywhere else in the world, kosher or not, uh, which uh, which has such a blend. Uh, so it's a Mediterranean-oriented uh, type of blend. Barbera is originally an Italian grape variety. Tizira is originally French. Uh, but nowadays, that's something interesting. Nowadays, Tizira is almost gone from France. There are no wineries basically that are uh, producing wine from this variety in France. And the main regions producing uh, Tizira wine are Israel and California. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. So it, it comes from originally from the Rhone Valley, uh, which is the Mediterranean part of France. Uh, and, uh, and the combination with Barbera from Italy originally. And then there is Merlot. And all together, you get a wonderful blend with delicious aromas and profile note of red fruit. I'm tasting it now. Spices. I'm tasting it now with a variety of foods because I could just feel the full body of it. And also, I think that's really unique, unless I'm mistaken. The labeling is quite unique. That color, the richness of it, the gold, like the lions, it reminds me of like the movie studio. We should hook it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And see, here's there's the caramel bats, caramel signature bats, Mediterranean. Uh, which is uh, which is a Mediterranean blend. So Carmel Winery is the pioneer winery of Israel. It was established in 1882 by Baron Edmond Rothschild, who was the owners of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, arguably the most famous, prestigious winery in the world. Uh, and he was a fierce Zionist supporter of Israel, supporter of settling the, the land of Israel way before the state of Israel was established. Uh, and uh, and the, he established Caramel Winery back then, 140 years ago. And uh, uh, Caramel was always the pioneer. Back in the 2000s, they started making wines, focusing on Israeli Mediterranean varieties that are more unique, not trying to like imitate French wine or California wine or Italian wine, but you know, trying to find something that is more proper, more... Uh, connected to Israel, given identity to Israeli wines, and they're they're really the trendsetter. So you have this wine from Carmel, uh, which is a blend of Tzira, also Syrah, Mourvedre, Tana, all of those grapes that are Mediterranean uh, oriented. And uh, and here you have this new wine from Sion Winery, which is also a Mediterranean blend. 
uh, following in the path that was uh, uh, first set by Carmel uh, about 15, 20 years ago. Well, uh, I have to tell you, as we're talking, I'm getting a question, and it is, are they more expensive because they come from Israel? So we're going to actually talk fact and not myth. You have so many wines out of Israel. The price range is also huge. Where do Israeli wines start price-wise, and how high can they go? So Israeli wines start around $10, $12. Uh, for instance, Carmel selected their uh, entry-level uh, uh, series or uh, the Sion Imperial wines are all between 10 to 15, usually around the $12. Uh, and that's the full price. You know, when you have sales before the holidays, it can go even below $10 at all. So really not expensive. And then, of course, you can have the flagship wines, which, which can go for like $100 uh, a bottle or so. Uh, in this particular case, the Caramel Mediterranean is about 50 to 60 dollars, approximately. Uh, and the Sion Capital, I believe, is 25 to 30 dollars. So, not crazy. This, this uh, sounds amazing. For the holidays. What's that? That sounds amazing. And the last time you were here, we got response. I got direct uh, emails from listeners that they actually saw kosher wines they were looking like in places like Costco and stuff. They didn't even realize that they can get in so many mainstream liquor stores. And they were asking me, like, in the store, what should I pick up? (laughs) I got a lot of that. Cindy carries kosher wine and Israeli wines. It's not a huge selection, uh, but there is some some good value wines there, and uh, the prices are, like, unbeatable. So uh, definitely, if you live in an area that has uh, a big Jewish community, uh, there's a good chance that your uh, local Costco carries some uh, kosher wines and Israeli wines. And uh, check them out because the prices are great there. What else would you like to share this week since you were here and you're going to be here? There's so much going on. We have last minute Purim. We have... um... We have so much going on in regards to celebrations. I don't know about you, but this is the height of uh, events at local synagogues, schools, uh, family gatherings, the weddings galore. People are going to three weddings a night by me. So I'm yeah. sure, uh, you know, making shaver brachas, which are the dinners afterwards, they're at the dinners that people actually entertain in homes. There are so many occasions right now. You don't have to wait till Passover to taste them. You can go out. They're in stores. They're online. You I like continue writing me, texting me, asking me what you want in the store because the varieties are just endless. What do you see uh, in the future of dessert wines? Because it was a time that Israel was really not, especially Passover, growing up with such limited alcohol. Sabra, everybody had that liqueur Sabra. What is going on in liqueurs and, and uh, what are you offering from Royal Wine in regard to kosher for Passover? Wow. Well, first of all, let's go right there. Sabra. So Sabra was you know, somewhat gone from the shelves at stores for a little while. Uh, we are working on really uh, revamping the uh, revamping this liqueur and the brand. And uh, we just came out with a new packaging, uh, which uh, it, you're not going to get confused because it, uh, it looks a lot like the old one, uh, just a little fresher, a little more uh, contemporary. 
Uh, but overall, uh, it's really in the path of uh, what people are accustomed to. Uh, I, I, it's very dear to me, the, the, the several decor, because I, I, I basically, I grew up with it. Every That's time uh, we, we traveled Sorry. to Israel as a kid, uh, my father would uh, buy a couple bottles of, uh, of several liquor at Duty Free at Angeron Airport. Uh, so that, that that was really a staple uh, in uh, in my house uh, growing up, and uh, of course I have a bottle of, uh, of several liquor at home. It is the liquor of Israel. So I yeah. just want to thank you for coming on this week. You gave us a couple of great ideas from Israel, from Israel with love, the best. I'm really excited to try them all, but I'm really excited about the Lion's Gate one because to me, it looks different. It has a different combination and the way you described it, it I, I like to try. And people remember, this is a season, Passover. You have to drink four glasses. It's the best time to do wine tastings and see what you like. And of course, There is no lack of choice from Royal Wine and Gabe Geller. We'll see you very soon, Gabe. Thank you, Cindy. See you next time. Take care. Thank you. Welcome back. What a show. I am so excited about today's show and upcoming shows promoting the best of Israel and the best of Israel's relationship with so many countries around the world. And that brings me to my brief pearls of wisdom in my closing. My pearls of wisdom is to learn from factual history. Anti-Semitism has been around for thousands of years. Anti-Semitism has been in history almost everywhere around the world. And yet, Jews survive. Jews thrive. And Jews are here when many of those who try to persecute, exterminate, and demolish the Jewish communities and the Jewish people, they're long gone a long, long time. Even if you go into Germany today, There is Jewish pride around in the midst of anti-Semitism. And that's my secret. Never be proud. Never hide being proud of being a Jew. Never hide or be proud of being an American or wherever else you live. And just remember, Jews have survived the horrors for... And they'll survive them today, despite headlines every day, whether or not it's a teenager being murdered, going to a wedding, or someone being attacked on the streets of Brooklyn, New York, or on the streets or in a kosher market in Paris. We will get through this. And Jews will be around way after we won't. But it's how we treat each other that we have the ability to change history and make sure that history is written correctly so that possibly this can end because hating Jews means people hate other people. And one day they're going to hate you. See you next week.
Thanks for watching The Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program, as well as previous ones, available internationally on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and in Israel on Jewish Podcasts. See you next time on The Jewish Patriot Show.